Hello friends, and welcome to The Final Threshold, a voice of those who are crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and to make His pathway straight. Here at The Final Threshold, we proclaim the true message of the Kingdom in preparation for Messiah's second coming events. My name is Chadwick Harvey, and I welcome you. Friends, today we have a very special guest and friend of mine, Daniel Seckham, who is the founding director and editor-in-chief of Israel, Islam, and End Times. He is also an international Bible teacher. We will be continuing our conversation from our first podcast about how the left and Islam has merged together and also discuss how they have taken advantage of the current crisis that we are seeing in America with the rioting and the protest. So friends, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Daniel Seckham. How you doing today, Daniel? Very well. Very well, Chad. Great to be with you again. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. And man, uh, since we did the first podcast, there's been a lot of movement with uh, some of the foundational points that you've made from the last broadcast, which was how the left and Islam has merged together uh, with this demonic uh, relationship that they're doing. And man, since that podcast, we've seen a lot of movement uh, with the current events that kind of proves uh, the foundation that you've given us. Yes, yes. Um yeah, I think it was, um, it kind of worked out well in regard to what we spoke about with the left and with Islam, because I think what we're going to speak about today is a bit of a continuation of those two topics. Yes, absolutely. And before we uh, commence with uh, the new updated information, could we give a, a brief summary uh, to the listeners who may not have heard the first podcast? Could we just give them a, a quick summary of that and then get into the current events that we've seen over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely. So um, last time we spoke, I believe we spoke on the relationship between the left and Islam. Um, so it was a very... Uh, I, I get, it was an interesting conversation. We we, uh, we we talked about the long list of parallels that the left and Islam have, which is interesting because at first thought, I mean, if you were just taking a cursory grant, glance at the two movements, you would think that they were total opposites, that they would hate each other. But the reality is, is that both of them um, have so much in common and um and this is why both movements are are actually drawn to each other and you know it's interesting uh chad i was um i read a book uh written um by a guy called uh dr what was name i think his name was dr uh schwartz i'm trying to think of his first name but uh he was an australian doctor and uh, basically he was based in brisbane and he just got fascinated with the topic of communism and so he began to research communism and he ate, slept and breathed communism in a sense that he studied uh, like all the um, source documents and he studied as much as he possibly can in regard to communist literature. And he became an expert on the matter. And he actually wrote a book on um, Dr. Fred's. That's right. Dr. Fred Swartz is his name. And he wrote a book called You Can... Um, what was it called? You can trust the communists to be communist. <laughs> and uh, 
he had a profound impact. He actually moved to America and he toured around America. He had a profound impact uh, upon many people over there, including U.S. President Ronald Reagan. In fact, the, there was a congressman who actually uh, spoke on Dr. Fred Schwartz's eulogy. And in the eulogy, the congressman said that before Dr. Fred Schwartz, uh, Reagan knew um, that he was against communism. But, but once he read Schwartz, it was then that he knew why he was against communism. And so in this book, now this book was written in the 1950s, the late 1950s. Now, what was amazing to me in reading that book was that even back then in the 1950s, he said that communism has a soft spot for Islam. Wow. And I, I thought, isn't that interesting that even, you know, half a century ago when this expert on communism wrote this book, you can trust the communists to be communists. And in it, he says that Islam, the communists and Islamists work together hand in glove. And I just thought, wow, that's really revealing that the, that this particular unholy alliance goes back so long. And as we discussed last time in our previous conversation, the, the, the binding philosophy that binds the left with, with Islam is this, that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And who is the enemy of their of their enemy? Well, of course, it's Christianity. It's Christianity. That is their enemy. And uh, because Christianity is the left's enemy and because Christianity is Islam's enemy, then they join together. They join forces together and they play off each other. They actually um, use each other um, to ad advance their goals and to advance their agenda. So Islam is using the power of the left as a minority group to get their way uh, in, in, in society because um, basically American society now throw, basically throw, lays out the red carpet and throws open the doors to anyone who's a minority. Um, you know, because there's a, there's a myth that's going on at the moment, Chad, and the myth is that um, minority groups are disempowered and that minority groups don't have a voice. I think that is a lie. I think the opposite is true, you know, because American universities American. Right now are actually knocking back applicants that aren't minorities, that aren't from minorities. So if you're a straight white male, then you don't have much of a chance to get into the Ivy League universities uh, of your choice because they are basically admitting minority groups ahead of people who come from privileged backgrounds. So it's really interesting to see how all this is unfolding and how there is so much power given to these particular minority groups. People are leftists, in particular leftists, and I would also say along with their useful idiots. And I, I don't mean to say that in a derogatory <laughs> sense, because the, the term useful idiot actually is attributed to um, um, Vladimir Lenin. It was Vladimir Lenin who basically referred to people who championed his cause without understanding his end goal. He referred to them as useful idiots. And this has been a term applied to people who will uncritically follow a cause without understanding the end goal. And so the left and their 
so-called uh, followers, youthful idiots, if I could use, if I could say that without being demeaning, um, they are the, they are basically dominating society. In fact, they are pretty much um, have become the totalitarian leaders of society. And in fact, I think it was actually Voltaire who said that uh, if you want to find out who rules over you, then just find out who you're not allowed to criticize. And I think that is absolutely true. If you want to know who rules over you, just find out that who you are not allowed to criticize. And that really can fall under two or three groups in particular. And that's the LGBT movement that you can't criticize. Otherwise, you're a homophobe. And then there's the Islam that you can't criticize. You criticize them and you become an Islamophobe. And then, of course, there's the uh, the black community. If you say anything derogatory or if you say anything that criticizes BLM, then you're a racist. So uh, there's this unholy um, alliance, unholy trinity, I would say, of of victim groups um, that uh, are harvesting huge amounts of power within America, American uh, culture. And this is where we, we find ourselves. Yeah, so when, whenever we look at the current events, especially this happened within America, and then I think you can kind of see it spread throughout the nations with uh, the protest as well. And uh, first, we'd like to say that we do believe, and I'm sure you agree with this, that what happened to George Floyd is murder, and it's uh, definitely wrong in our eyes. But the events that have occurred after that, I think one could make the case that uh, there's more to it than just uh, the George Floyd, uh, Floyd killing. It's more about the ide ideology of what we've been speaking of about the left and also uh, Islam with these uh, groups of Antifa, etc. Could you expound on that in your opinion? Yeah, that's a good point. And um, in fact, I want to, you know, what happened with George Floyd was abhorrent. Uh, it was absolutely evil. And uh, that man, uh, Derek Chauvin or whatever his name is, he should never have done what he've done. It was excessive um, and it should be roundly condemned. However, there were groups within America that were looking for a pretext. Uh, in fact, um, they were, I think they had hoped that the shooting of that particular, you know, the black jogger that, that, that was gunned down, yes. they were hoping that they could actually trigger it with that. But these groups are hope they are looking for triggers. They are looking for pretext. They are looking for a, I guess you could say a, 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 a um, an excuse pretty much. And uh, what is interesting though is that in the aftermath of these particular loot, um, um, of the looting and the rioting, um, Washington Times, not to be con confused with the Washington Post. But the Washington um, Times um, basically published an exclusive article where they said that uh, activists of the far left Antifa movement began planning to foment a nationwide anti-government insurgency as early as November last year. So they have been they've had this thing in the works. They've had this insurgency, this violent uprising with using race racial tensions as a pretext they've had this in the works since november last year so it's all pre-planned all pre-planned and they used the death of george floyd as a pretext for that so the um so they 
they were planning this nationwide anti-government insurgency as early as November as the U.S. presidential campaign season kicked off in earnest. So uh, according to a law enforcement uh, official with access to intelligence behind the shadowy group. So it goes on to say that the radical movement has emerged as a key focus for investigators in the wake of the violent protests and looting across the country and the death of George Floyd, uh, according to U.S. law enforcement. So I just think it's really, really interesting. Another thing, too, is that um, the attacks upon the White House uh, were unprecedented. In fact, there is a secret, ser- an ex-Secret Service uh, conservative activist, uh, Dan Bongino. Uh, you've probably heard of him. But he actually was, um, uh, in, in speaking with uh, um, Fox News, he said that from what he all intelligence that he also received from some of his colleagues who are still involved with the Secret Service, that the attacks upon the White House were highly sophisticated highly sophisticated and extremely well organized. In other words, these people had, it was almost like um, everything was rehearsed. Everything was, uh, all the the attacks were very strategically um, implemented. In fact, there were 60 plus secret service agents that were injured in that confrontation. So yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. So these uh, and I'm so glad that President Trump actually declared Antifa as a terrorist entity because that's exactly what they are. They are terrorists. So basically, you're saying that um, yes, they have been wanting to exploit uh, a horrible situation like George Floyd's death was. It was absolutely horrible, and it's, like we've said, it's murder, and the guy should never see the light of day uh, and have justice served. But uh, what they're doing is they're taking situations like this and exploiting them for uh, the divide or the racial war that it goes back into some of the doctrine that we spoke about on our first uh, podcast about uh, the Solinsky approach where you want to create a racial war, which so many of our politicians, Hillary Clinton specifically, uh, really uh, adheres to with that. So could you go into that and kind of look at the underground lying of that? Because I think it's important for the listeners to understand that uh, they are using these exploiting these situations, whether it's the George Floyd or whether it's uh, the gentleman who was uh, shot on the bike or whatever it is, that they're using these situations to exploit this evil ideology that you've discussed in the previous uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, In fact, you know, the, the crime rate was actually heading down as a matter of fact um in the nine in, by two by 2014 in fact let me let me share this with you this is actually from an opinion piece in the wall street journal and this is actually written by heather mcdonald who wrote her book uh the war on cops that she actually released back on to think in 2016 and she she wrote this she says um uh she says in fact, I might just read it from here. Uh, it says that the charge of systemic police bias was wrong during the Obama years and, and remains so today. However, sickening the video of Floyd's arrest isn't representative of the 375 million annual contacts that police officers have with civilians. A solid body of evidence finds no structural uh, bias in the criminal justice system with re- regard to arrests, prosecution or sentencing. Crime or and suspect behaviour, not race, 
determine most police actions. Now, what she says here, and I might read it from at the top. It says, um, uh, Joe Biden released a video the same day in which he asserted that all African-Americans fear for their safety from bad police and black children must be instructed uh, to tolerate police abuse so that just so just they can make it home. That echoed the claim that Mr. Obama made after the ambush murder of five Dallas officers in July 2006. During their memorial service, the president said African-American parents were right to fear that their children may be killed by police officers whenever they go outside. So basically, Obama was fanning the flames. He was already fan, fan, fanning the flames. And this is why from since 2015 that, um, in fact, uh, she mentions it here. And she says in 2019, police officers fatally shot 1,004 people, most of whom were armed or otherwise dangerous. African-Americans were about a quarter of those killed by cops last year. 235, a ratio that has remained stable since 2015. That share of black victims is less than what the black crime rate would predict since police shootings are a function of how often officers encounter armed and violent suspects. In 2018, the latest year uh, for which such data have been published, African-Americans have made up 53% of known homicide offenders in the U.S. and commit about 60% of robberies though they are just 13% of the population. So it, it's interesting. And she says here, crime has been trending down for decades. But in 2015, homicide rates increased dramatically over 2014. And Houston, homicides were up 25%. In Washington, D.C., 54%. Baltimore, 58.5%. Milwaukee, 72 0.6% and in Cleveland, a whopping 90%. Overall, homicides increased 17% in the 50 largest cities, the greatest increase in 25 years. Now, why is that? Well, that's when movements such as Black Lives Matter came into place. Black Lives Matter made a list of this, capitalizing on the inaccurate and sometimes outright deceptive media reporting on police-involved shootings BLM agitation has provoked numerous police killings, violence, lawlessness and unrest in minority communities throughout the U.S., culminating most recently with the horrific ambush murders of five policemen in Dallas and three in Baton Rouge, with many more wounded. If allowed to continue, Black Lives Matter's agitation could lead to greater civil unrest and by the way, this was written back in 2016. And this is what James Simpson says. He says, if allowed to continue, BLM agitation could lead to greater civil unrest, anarchy and even civil war. With the support and sympathy of President Obama, the Black Lives Matter crowd appears to be spoiling for such an outcome. All I can say to that is, wow, the fact that he wrote that back then... They could see it coming. They could see it coming. And they, were, they are stoking the, 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 the flames of, of, of rebellion, of riots, and, and, and chaos. And chaos leads to revolution. And this is exactly what they want. Chaos is the best friend of the communist.
Wow. And I'm totally with you. It just seems uh, whenever I look at the the writing and things like that, there's a lot of uh, black police officers that's been killed. You know, I see on social media, you know, a lot of black officers are even killed and a lot of black businesses are being uh, tortured and rioting and, you know, basically in flames right now. So I have to wonder in my own mind, when I look at the movement of these of Antifa and even the uh, BLM, I'm looking to see, OK, what's the true What's the true uh, measure of this going on with those guys? What's the true cause? What's their end game, if you will, of what's going on when I see fellow, uh, if they're about Black Lives Matter and things, fellow black police officers, fellow black businessmen, they're, they're having their lives ruined and the police officers are dying uh, in their in their cause. So I have to wonder what's the ultimate goal of all of these things uh, whenever we look at Antifa, when we look at Black Lives Matter, when we look at Islam, when we look at the left, when we look at all of these uh, things conglomerating. What say you? What's going to? Where do you see this heading as we look forward? Yeah, that's that's a really really good point, and I think the best thing I, I'd really like to read to you actually. I want to read to you this quote, and this is a quote by Thomas Sowell, and Thomas Sowell says this. He says, "When people get used to preferential treatment, equal treatment seems like discrimination." Okay, let me let me read that again. When people get used to preferential treatment, equal treatment seems like discrimination. Okay, so what we see here is a a snowball effect. Okay, so once you give a minority group preferential treatment, okay, you are giving them power. Okay, you are handing power over to them. Now, what happens when people, especially people who don't know what to do with power uh, and, and don't have the um, discipline and the moral characteristics to to guide that power. What, you know, as the saying goes, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. OK, so power is a corrupting is a corrupting force. It's a corrupting um, commodity. Once someone receives this power, it brings about this corruption. And this is the whole story behind the Lord of the Rings. You know, when people people had this um, insatiable, selfish, carnal desire to get the ring at all costs, because once they had it, they had this rush of power. And that's what happens. Now, what happens is, is that when these minority groups get this power, they want more power. OK, they want more and then they want more. Okay, and so they will keep playing the victim card over and over and over until they get more power. Okay, as Thomas Sowell says, when people get used to preferential treatment, equal treatment seems like discrimination. And see, and see, when people treat them equally, they're outraged. They're outraged. They 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 say like, oh, how dare you? You know you're you're a racist you know and so they want this preferential treatment and this is why this is why there are so many institutions that are now caving to these activists now this i'm not saying that this is the case with all black people um, at all in fact what i'm saying is is that i'm talking about the people who have who have bought into this victimhood who have bought into this marxist ideology where where they believe that through their victimization, they, they harvest power, okay? Now, it's not just the victims who benefit from this, okay? Because there's two sides 
uh, there are two groups of people who benefit out of Marxism. All right. So already we talked about how the victims, the victims get power through this and they love it. OK, they get the, 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 the we, we talked about that. The other group that gets power through this is not the victims, but it's the predator, the predator class. OK, this is why uh, Marxists hate the middle class. OK, because Marxists love the poor and they love the rich. Well, they, they tend to be from the rich. They tend to be the, the elites and they use the poor, the, the victims to harvest power. And that's how they how they do it. So the other group that benefits from Marxism are the privileged, the, the, the elites. This is the predator class. And these people, and this will give you a bit of an insight into why they will do anything they possibly can to keep racism alive. In fact, Thomas Sowell said that racism is not dead, but it is on life support, kept alive by politicians, race hustlers, and people who get a sense of superiority by denouncing others as racists. <laughs> and um, he also said this, and this, I love Thomas Sowell because he's a black man, okay? People might not realize this, but Thomas Sowell is probably one of the greatest black conservative philosophers. He's, uh, he's more known as, a, as an economist, but uh, he is a brilliant, very sharp um, man, incredible intellect. In fact, he here's the other thing that he said about this he says um black votes matter to many politicians more so than black lives that is why such politicians must try to keep black voters fearful angry and resentful racial harmony would be a political disaster for such politicians <laughs> He really, he really sums it up. In fact, Candace Owens also said something similar. She said, what the left fears more than anything are white people and black people coming together and loving their country. This is why they are doing absolutely everything in their power to inspire a race war. Class and racial warfare are essential to their party platform. And I think, wow, absolutely 100%. Now, Larry Elder, who also is a black, is a is a black person, as is Candace Owens, as is Thomas Sowell. Larry Elder says this. He says, without the 90 plus percent black vote, the Democrat Party at the national level is in deep trouble. This explains why they race bait constantly. OK, this is why, you know, as Sowell said, racism is not there, but it is on life support. It's being kept alive by politicians. It's being kept alive because it's what. They have now. If if these um, Marxists who are who are playing this game, see, here's the thing: if there was, if this whole race issue didn't exist, they would have nothing to offer, nothing to offer. Nor would anyone be interested in voting for them. So that's why they do everything they possibly can to constantly. Uh, push these identity politics, to push these victim narratives. And by the way, Chad, it's really important to understand this is why they are so big on the whole born this way lie in regard to homosexuals. They want to push the born this way lie because they are they want to see because gay people have become a another victim um, a class to them. They've become another 
uh, how can I say, tool that they use to to maintain power. Because if they can trap these people in their lifestyle, then they will have them vote Democrat because they uh, the Democrats tell the, the the homosexuals that they are victims and you know and you are oppressed. The same thing that they have been telling the black community. Okay, so uh, it's uh, it's it, and it's also the same thing that they tell Muslims as well. Any minority group, this is what they do. This is what they run with. Also, too, um, as another thing, uh, Chad, and this is what I think is fascinating, and this is how you know that the devil was behind all this. The same thing is with the Palestinians in regard to Israel. Okay? It's the exact same thing. You know, it's the whole attitude of the... Um, of the um, this, the, the petulant child, you know, the, the, the child lashes out, okay? And when you try to add restraint to this child who lashes out, okay, you are seen as a child beater. How dare you restrain? How dare you be rough? And how dare you uh, assault or uh, be heavy-handed with that child? It's just a child. How dare you? But this is how, how it works. And so they... Um, so the IDF are very, very careful when it comes to um, dealing uh, with the Palestinians because if they know just one wrong move, okay, and they'll and all hell will break loose, okay. And this is why they um, because and this is how the Palestinians harvest power. This is how they're gaining more and more power in the eyes of the of, of other leftists because um, they play the same narrative that BLM uh, say. BLM say that there is a, a systemic racist issue with cops. As the Palestinians say, there is a systemic violence among the IDF, okay? Even though that's not true. It's all lies. But they are using these lies to harvest power. You make a great point. And I was going to bring this up. And uh, it's pretty interesting to me that we have Antifa that we're uh, dealing with over in America. And it reminds me of the Intifada uh, yeah. with the uh, Palestinians. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting because I do believe that there is a Islamic underground uh, backbone to this Antifa group. Just like you're saying, they will use the left. They will use groups like Antifa. And I just wanted to bring that up. It's just, it reminds me of, uh, of that in the Palestinian-Israeli yeah, conflict. absolutely. 100%. How do you see uh, going forward? We're seeing these uh, calls for the defunding of the police. You know, we're seeing it in Minnesota. We're seeing it in other places. Uh, do you believe that has legs to uh, proceed into something very dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As I said before, chaos, chaos is the absolute, is the absolute um, thing that communists crave. Okay, and this is how they do it. It, it all starts with agitation, um, and and so it begins with, excuse me, it begins with the agitation. In fact, I'll see if I can find, uh, just to see. Here we go, here. So, um, in fact, who was it? I think it was Saul Alinsky who said it. Um, yeah. Yeah, here we go here. Here we go here. So basically, Saul Alinsky um, 
basically came up with the idea. It's here. He said, um, Saul Alinsky, who was considered the father of the American left, he said that the organizer's first job is to create the issues or problems. And organizations must be based on many issues. Okay. Saul Alinsky is probably the, the number one agitator of the left. I mean, he died, I think, in the 1970s, I think. But anyway, before he died, actually, he's um he was a men basically he was a mentor to Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was basically Saul Alinsky's apprentice. In fact, Hillary Clinton's thesis that she wrote in college was all on Saul Alinsky. This is incredible, absolutely incredible. Anyway, Saul Alinsky, he wrote a book called 12 Rules for Radicals. And this is what I'm reading to you is actually from that book. He says that the organizer's first job is to create the issues or the problems. And organizations must be based on many issues. The organizer must first rub raw the resentments of the people of the community fan the latent hostilities of many of the people to the point of overt expression. He must search out controversy and issues rather than avoid them. For unless there is controversy, people are not concerned enough to act. Boy, does that ring alarm bells? I mean, I mean, that's what, you know, wow. they're talking about disbanding the police. Let me just read that to you again. It says he must search out controversy and issues rather than avoid the front. Unless there is controversy, people are not concerned enough to act. An organizer must stir up dissatisfaction and discontent. And then he also said this, the despair is there. And now it's up to us to go in and rub the sores of discontent and galvanize them for radical social change. <laughs> there you go. That's how they do it. So they divide wow. the people in order to harvest power from the people. That's how it works. But um, in regard to your question, uh, in regard to um, violence, I think, yeah, absolutely. There's some really, really important um, um, things to say. In fact, let me just read to you. Uh, let me see. It. Here it is here. Now, it was, it was Karl Marx who said, without violence, nothing, and let me read that. He says, without violence, nothing is ever accomplished in history. That's Karl Marx. He's the father of Marxism. So, and, and Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Lenin uh, said, and actually it wasn't Vladimir Lenin, it was Joseph Stalin. He said that to think that the communist revolution can be carried out peacefully within the framework of a Christian democracy means one has either gone out of one's mind and lost all normal understanding or has grossly and openly repudiated the communist revolution. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. And, and definitely when I look around and, and you're seeing uh, these outspoken, uh, the Hollywood stars and all these politicians really condoning uh, the violence, the musicians as well, that we're seeing that are world famous and all this good stuff, that they're really supporting and really condoning it and really agitating the call for the violence. Uh, it's really uh, despicable, in my opinion, because it goes with the uh, underground 
lying of what we're speaking of, of how they, they want chaos. They want destruction. They want, I mean, when you look at Minnesota, I've seen pictures in Minnesota, Minneapolis, it looks like Iraq, you know, after the 2003 Iraq war. So it looks uh, very dangerous up there. And I think even Michelle Bachman has really uh, gone against what's going on in her state up there. She's a representative uh, or used to be a representative of Minnesota. And it's just totally changed yes. up there with the Somali yep. refugees, et cetera. And it just makes you wonder you know, how much is Islam with the call of Sharia law that's been kind of echoing for these last couple of, mm. I would say, a decade or so, uh, the underground underlying call for the uh, Sharia law? Is this the first step of it? I'm not saying Sharia law mm. is going to happen immediately, but it's a continuing process of disbanding the police. And then where do we get the where will we see that uh, call for Sharia law? Yeah, well, what what do you say about that? Before. So it begins with the agitation. Agitation and then the agitation um, basically leads to division where you're pitting two groups against each other. Then it, then basically it leads to um, uh, it then it, then it leads to uh, how can I say it then leads to chaos. OK, it leads to chaos. That's what the communists, this is what these and this is why they want to get rid of the, of the, the police departments. Because if they can successfully do that, it will basically bring about chaos. And it's in chaos, it's through chaos, that um, that communist rule begins. In fact, they are, this is how it all happens. In fact, you know, it was Penn Jillette who said this. Every time something really bad happens, people cry out for safety. And the government answers by taking rights away from good people. I think that's a really profound uh, statement because this is this is how it all happens because they want to get rid of the police. It means then they can um, they can it'll give them the agitation. It'll give them the chaos that they need to for them to solidify their power, because what happens is, is that have you noticed that all the left have been blaming Trump through this whole thing? Yep, they've sure, been blaming absolutely. Trump. They're saying it's all his fault, which is ironic because the cities in which all the rioting has taken place is all owned by Democrats. Okay, so all the cities have have Democrat mayors, Democrat mayors, Democrat attorney generals. Okay, and you know it's really funny. The Minnesota attorney general is Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison was the former um, uh, head of the Democrat Party. Keith Ellison is a Muslim, but also hardcore leftist. Radical. Yeah. And in 2018, Keith Ellison took a photo of himself holding the Antifa manual, holding the Antifa manual. And he said that, um, uh, based, oh, what was it that he said? He's, and so I'll see if I can find it. Um, I've got it here on file. While you're finding that, we also have Representative Omar from Minnesota as well. So you got uh, Omar, you've got Keith Ellison, which both, in my mind, from what I've read, are radical uh, Islamists. And uh, so they're definitely going to tie into the Antifa net, uh, narrative. Keith Ellison. So basically, Keith Ellison is the Minnesota Attorney General. Um, and um, his son, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Ellison, Basically, on the very day that President Trump designated um, 
Antifa as a communist organization, Jeremiah Ellison uh, declared his allegiance to Antifa. Um, now, this is that Jeremiah Ellison is the head councilman uh, at the Minneapolis um, Council, so um, city council. So he is the head councilman at the Minneapolis City Council. And it's Keith, uh, it's Jeremiah Ellison that is the one that is pushing. In fact, he made it veto proof. He made it veto proof. So no one could actually veto and stop them from, from disbanding the, the police department. This is all the agenda. This is pu being pushed by Jeremiah Ellison, the same guy who declared his allegiance to Antifa. So it's just extraordinary extraordinary how old and who is also he's also an islamist you know just like his father's yeah. correct just like his father just like his father and this way you can see leftism and islam just working together like those two ideologies are extremely dangerous and that's why we have ilhan omar who is the congress uh, uh, congressional representative from minnesota and uh and so it's just and by the way, Ilhan Omar, she also echoed disbanding the police. She was 100% for it from a U.S. congressman. Can you imagine? I, it's just, I mean, wow. That's yeah, all from, I can say. yeah, from what I see, and uh, I wrote about Minnesota in my second book, God's Fishman, Satan's Hunters. And I, what I believe, what you believe as well, with the infiltration of Islam through our education system, through our governments, uh, through our open borders, the immigration as well, which I believe you're going to hit on the illegal immigration uh, with that. But I do believe that it is a perfect storm for the for the state of Minnesota, you're going to see it drastically change. You already have, and goes back to yep. Representative, uh, former Representative Bachman, Michelle Bachman, what she has uh, said, and I've quoted her in, in my book as well, that Minnesota has totally changed. This is even before uh, this situation that we're dealing with currently. Minnesota has already changed, and I believe you're going to start to see it change more, especially with the leaders that they have in place uh, with all three levels. Exactly. Keep in mind, I mean, you, you really need to ask a question. Well, what is an American? Okay. What is American? Well, America is founded on an idea. Okay. It's all written in your founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the, you know, the U.S. Constitution. Those who hold to those principles in your founding documents is what you'd say is an American. Th those who hold to those principles, to those values. Okay. That's why they have the Pledge of Allegiance, okay, when everyone, someone becomes an American citizen. Um, but these illegals that, and, and these Somalians that have been imported by, oh my gosh, by the thousands, tens of thousands, many of them do not adhere to, the, to American values. They do not adhere to American principles. Uh, and um, and the the this the left absolutely loves these people, and this is why they are so big on illegal immigration. Okay, now in saying this, I'm not being derogatory or demeaning to these people at all, but you need to understand that people have value systems, and um, um, and most often, illegal immigrants who who come into the country illegally are doing it for their own. Um, to, to basically, they're, they're they're looking for something for nothing. That's what they're looking for. They um, that's why they come to your country because they know that they can get they can get stuff. 
They can get free stuff. That's what they want. And so they tend to have value systems that tend to be very, very different. Now, there are five reasons why the left want illegal immigration. And this will help you to understand what has happened to Minnesota. Okay. So there are five reasons why they want it. Now, number one, mass illegal immigration dilutes national identity. And that's what we talked about before with values. Okay. It dilutes national identity, sovereignty, and homogeneity. Okay. This is why they oppose Trump building the wall. Okay, as the wall signifies the affirmation of America as being a distinct sovereign nation. Number two, illegal immigration divides the people under the guise of diversity. Okay, it this is what um, it causes. They fall under the victim group, as we discussed earlier in our conversation. And so the Marxists love that that they they can use these these immigrants as another victim uh, tool in their toolbox. Number three, mass illegal immigration brings destabilization and provides the agitation necessary in order for government to expand. Now, we talked about agitation before. Figures from the, de of the Department of Homeland Security shows 75% of illegal immigrants arrested have criminal records. What a surprise. 75% of illegal immigrants arrested have criminal records. And when violent crime increases, the people cry out for safety. They want safety and they want stability and they want order, okay? And the government expands with more extensive law enforcement measures to provide that safety. Yet all this comes at the expense of personal liberty. Number four, mass immigration creates massive demand for welfare and inadvertently forces the government more and more into the socialist practice of redistribution of income, which is exactly what the left want. The more people on welfare places a massive burden on the middle class, which is what the left want. As we discussed before, the left hate the middle class. I want to destroy the middle class and also provides the left a convenient platform to preach that capitalism isn't working. OK, and we've heard a lot about that over the last couple of weeks. They keep saying that capitalism working, capitalism is what is uh, is oppressive and, and it's uh, um, it's uh, exploitation, et cetera, et cetera. Number five, and this is the last point, mass illegal immigration provides millions of Democrat votes. Chain migration, sanctuary cities and the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or the DACA program and citizens for immigrants living in the country illegally will give the left huge political power. An estimated 70 to 80% of immigrants from Latin America will vote Democrat. Okay, now there's another reason for that too, because the vast majority of countries in Latin America are all socialist countries. So they come with the socialist mentality, okay? So with enough new voters from Latin America alone, the Democrats will easily be assured the presidency, a majority in the House of Representatives and the Senate for the foreseeable future. And such a long hold on these federal government branches would also ensure Supreme Court picks um, um, who would favor the left's agenda. Now, by the way, this will also give them the momentum to abolish the Electoral College. and. Um, 
and you know it, it will just be game set and match it will be game set match for the left's utopian vision for america and it'll be lights out for freedom loving americans and this is why it's so crucial to push back now against the left's uh, uh, agenda before they they have so much momentum it'll be too late so we're seeing this is all what has happened to minnesota and by the way this is also what's happened to virginia Ralph Northam, Governor Ralph Northam, swept the power on the immigrant vote. You know, this is what they're trying to do all over the place. And because then this is why they're so big on, on illegal immigrants. They will push it to the letter. They will push it and push it until, you know, and this is why they will keep pushing it, because they know that if they keep pushing it, then they are, they will turn America into essentially with what um, Russia has become, because Russia is a one party nation okay democracy in Russia is a joke you know um vladimir putin will, will you know they have elections but they're not really elections you know it's it's all a facade you know uh vladimir putin is basically the dictator there even though it it, it uh, russia the russian federation comes across as a, as, as a democracy it's not it's a one party it's a one party state and um, and that's what the Democrats want to do to America. That's very interesting when we look at all of these, uh, the combination, the conglomerate all of, of all of these things rising uh, to the top, uh, to the surface right now in America. And you're seeing, you know, all of these uh, conglomerations with the Islam, with the Antifa, with the uh, BLM movement, with all of these yeah. things. And where do you see this going? I mean, we're in an election year and some would say that the timing of all of these events is very interesting with the coronavirus, with the impeachment, yeah. with, you know, uh, them exploiting uh, the sad death of uh, George Floyd. Uh, so where do you see this going uh, in this summer that we're getting into, into the fall of the election year? And on forward, where do you see this? Uh, what do you see occurring? Okay, well, there's a natural explanation. There's a natural response to what you just said. And there's, there's also a spiritual uh, response in regard to what you said. So the natural response to that is that the left um, are absolutely going hell for leather they are throwing everything at Trump, including the kitchen sink. Okay, they are—they are absolutely hysterical over the idea of Trump getting four more years. They cannot let that happen, and this is why they are pulling at all stops to prevent it from happening. This is why there was the whole Russia hoax. This is why there was the whole impeachment farce. This, you know, with the whole Ukrainian thing, this is why they try to impeach. Uh, this is why they are, um, you know, and also too, it, the whole thing with the coronavirus, you know, um, there's huge evidence to suggest that it actually did come out of a lab. Uh, and that being in it, how it conveniently spread itself all over the globe. And now, and, uh, and now basically the left made them, made them, maximum opportunity from that. In fact, Saul Alinsky said that um, never let a crisis go to waste. And so they, the left used the whole coronavirus thing against Trump. They, they have used everything against Trump. They attacked his um, react, how uh, Trump's um, uh, reaction to um, 
his response to the virus. Um, they have attacked him. They've attacked practically anything. And now, since the economy has tanked as a result of the, the coronavirus, and now blaming Trump for that. And then with the riots that have come, you know, conveniently, um, they have used that to attack Trump, which is ridiculous because, you know, it's all Democrat strongholds where all these riots were happening in the first place. So I think they're trying everything they possibly can to stop Trump. And so it just really does make you wonder, gosh, you know, with everything. And, and by the way, you've got to see the bigger picture here, because why is there so much turmoil going on in America? Why America? And the answer to that is this Satan wants to destroy America. He wants to just remove America's influence and America's power on the global on the on on the world state. He he has to because Satan's ultimate plan, get this, is to destroy Israel. Satan wants to destroy Israel and he cannot destroy Israel while the United States is in a position of great power and strength. And so once he can ha once he has the ability to bring America down, then basically there will be no one stopping him from then targeting Israel. Europe is already dead set against Israel. In fact, uh, with the whole annexation of the West Bank uh, looming, Europe is furious, absolutely furious with Israel and, and uh, doing everything they possibly can to stop Israel from annexing the West Bank. But um, that is why that they are doing everything they possibly can within their power to stop America. And here's the thing, you know, I believe that um, Reagan was right when he said, if we lose our freedom here, there is no other place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And Reagan is 100% right, because I believe if, if America goes down, we all go down. The free world is finished. Um, China has already indicated they will be happy to lead the new world order. Okay, But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And I think that, that Islam has got a lot to say about that. Um, I think... Um, if that happens, I think all hell will break loose. Uh, and this is why we need to pray. We need to pray so much. So now let's move on to the spiritual reason. The spiritual reason behind this, why is all this happening? Well, I think Dr. Michael Brown said something very pertinent. In fact, um, he put this on his Ask Dr. Brown this week, and he said this. He says, do we really think we could abort 60 million babies help flood the world with pornography, declare war on the family, tolerate injustice, just to mention a few of our national sins, plus preach a self-serving, watered-down gospel without our nation experiencing, sh experiencing shaking and upheaval? Boy, isn't that something to think about? Now, Erwin Lutzer also said, he said this, Despite its foundational Christian heritage, America is rapidly degenerating into a godless society. The church in America, although highly visible and active, appears powerless to redirect the rushing secular currents. Mired in a moral and spiritual crisis, America's only hope is a national revival 
like God has graciously bestowed in the past. Incredible. It, it is incredible. And, it, and, and you know, you know me, I live in uh, the state of Tennessee in America, and uh, this is absolutely correct. Those, both of those quotes, we're finding uh, this, I don't, want, I don't know if I want to call it God's judgment or chastisement, but it's definitely the warning signs, the birth pains of what's coming. It kind of reminds me of uh, before 586 BC when uh, the prophets Jeremiah and all the other prophets were going to them to get them to repent and turn away mm. from Moloch, get them to turn away from their uh, worldly lifestyle. And we're in that in America, just like you've quoted from uh, Dr. Brown and the other uh, gentlemen. So uh, we're in this crossroads, I believe. Uh, it's always, as you know, spiritual and you know and he will allow an evil empire or islam or antifa or however people want to call it he will allow them uh, to have their way with us with the american church with the uh, government etc if we continue to go down the route that we're going with the unborn with uh, the pornography with the drugs etc uh, he will allow an evil uh, system or evil empire to come against us and be successful if we do not uh, nationally repent and turn away from these things yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, there were two ways that God tried to get the attention of Israel. The first was with natural circumstances uh, in regard to drought, uh, in regard to um, you know uh, national disasters and things like that. Uh, basically, God would all He would need to do is bring up the Hamsin, which is the Arabic for the the eastern wind um, that comes off the Arabian Desert, and that would basically bring about large scale drought. Um, and you know, if that, if Israel, if that didn't get Israel's attention, then he would move on to the next big thing. And that is to raise up a, a foreign, um, you know, invaders, foreign invaders. And I think, uh, the strength of, of America really is hanging in the balance. And, um, and, and so I think God is constantly holding his hands out to America saying, you know, are you done yet? I, you, do you honest? Do you really think that you can go on doing these things and, and think that you can maintain your greatness? You know, and this is what I have to, you know, in regard to the whole thing, you know, make America great again. I think the real thing, I think the real thing that needs to be said is make America repent again. I think that is the number one thing that needs to be said. America has to come to repentance, and I think it's interesting, uh, Chad, because. There's so many so-called prophets out there and they say, well, you know, there's going to be a great revival in these last days and there's going to be a huge outpouring right. and there's thousands are going to get saved. Uh, listen, you know, there is no revival without repentance. God, it, revival is not outside of God, outside of the realm of poss possibility, but it has to happen through repentance. And, uh, and, and can that happen? Gosh, to being a realist, I think there, in some respects, America has passed the point of no return. And I hate saying that. It pains my heart to say that. But God's patience eventually comes to an end. And I think there are parts of America that will come under massive judgment. Um, and, yeah, and again, that, that doesn't grate well with me because I absolutely love American and I love Americans with all my heart. But a, a lot of this, um, Chad... Uh, it goes really back to the principles in the word of God. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, the Lord says, he says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, your God. 
for the good land he has given you. And that really comes out of the whole spirit behind Thanksgiving. And Americans really, and that's what I admire about America, because we don't have a Thanksgiving here in Australia, but Americans have got this really thankfulness in regard to that. So there's that aspect, but it says this, but be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands and his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and when you build fine houses and settle down and when you when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, let's put a modern twist on that. Who brought you out of the authoritarianism of Great Britain. Okay. I mean, the pilgrims the, 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 the fled Great Britain because they wanted to get away from authoritarianism. Okay. That's why the, the founding fathers were all about maximizing individual liberty. The, 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 the parallels are just incredible. Just incredible. And this also ties in to Hosea chapter 13. God says in Hosea 13, he says this, but I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt and you shall acknowledge no God but me, no savior except me. God says, I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. And when I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. And I believe that's where we are, my friend. I believe that's where the American culture is. I believe that's where the American church is, unfortunately. And uh, I know sometimes persecution uh, leads to uh, repentance. It leads to revival. Yeah. It leads to, basically, I think we need a spiritual revolution, actually, uh, is what we need in America and really the world. And some will call it revival, which is which is fine. But there has to be true repentance. And I do believe we're hanging in the balance. I do believe the time is very short for us to get our act together mm -hmm. and uh, to mm -hmm. be the voice of the innocents to really stand. And I would love, there's nothing wrong with people protesting whatever they believe, but I would love uh, to have a protest about abortion. You know, if, if the church could get out on the streets and uh, protest the abortion, maybe we could move uh, some things down mm -hmm. the line with the uh, innocents. So uh, I'm with you. It's really uh, a very important time for the American church, really for the world. When you look at the world, it's really God's trying to get our attention with this coronavirus and with all of these things that we can see manifest in America. I do believe in 2020 has just been, you know, one thing after another. So I don't know how anyone could look at it other than God's trying to warn us of, hey, let's get our act together before uh, the grace period runs out. Yeah, man. You know, it was Thomas Jefferson who said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Wow. That's very good. What would be one final word? We've discussed a lot of very important issues today with uh, Daniel Seckham. Uh, what is one last word uh, to summarize everything as we move forward into uh, 2020? Well, I would say that return to the Lord with all your heart. Rend, rend your hearts, not your garments. I think it's a time where people need to. In fact, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah at the moment. And I think the book of Jeremiah is a really sobering piece. But it's like, you know, America needs 
it's the thing about medicine. It tastes terrible, but it's good. It 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 it, it has an it it turns around the poisonous effects of what's going on in in your body. And so I I just believe with all my heart that people need to be broken hearted before the Lord. And uh, it says, as the psalmist, as David said in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And uh, if once American Americans can get to that place of brokenness before the Lord, um, you know, I think we can see some change. And another thing, too, um, Jesus in his letters to the seven churches, in fact, I forget which church he said it to, but he said, uh, strengthen that which remains, strengthen that which remains. And I think that's a really important word because there are, I believe there are some parts of America that are just past the point of no return. But God says to uh, other communities and other Christian, uh, you know, to others to say, and he's saying, uh, strengthen that which remains. You know, if you're a pastor, then you do your best to strengthen your your congregation. Do whatever you possibly can with you within your community, okay. And you still be active. Continue to write letters to the editor. Um, continue to write to your congressman. Do still do what you possibly can to strengthen what remains. Because uh, at the end of the day, we we need to love our neighbor, and loving our neighbor sometimes means getting active and getting out there and making a difference and uh, i think that's one of the best things that we could possibly do so the number one repentance we need to get on our knees but then after that we need to get off our knees and then we need to get out there about and to strengthen what that which remains amen brother we really appreciate you joining us joining us today friends we've had daniel Sekum on uh, with us today to speak about uh, islam and the left and how it's really uh, looking uh, into these current events to see the background or the backbone of what's really causing this these movements coming up in America. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast. I'm sure we're going to have Daniel on for more updates as we continue down uh, 2020. But friends, uh, my name is Chadwick Harvey. We always re really appreciate you joining us and you've reached the final threshold. Uh -huh.